Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. So um, today, I, I feel like uh, the word that's in me is, uh, is really burning, and it's also a very tender posture in my heart for this word. And I feel that there's a maturing happening. There's a maturing and a pruning that's taking place um, in the body of Christ as a whole, but also in our church family here. There's a maturing and a pruning that's taking place, and sometimes that's uncomfortable. Sometimes that's not fun. I mean, obviously, it's not fun to get clipped and have things taken off of you, but maturing and pruning always precede a season of fruitfulness coming. And so there is this conversation that's, that's floating in our, you know, between Pastor Matt and Pastor Emily and ourselves and just our staff and our team of like, what are we going to do when God like answers the prayer of revival? Because it's starting to happen. We've obviously seen growth in our church. <laughs> yes, so we've obviously seen growth in our church. But there's more that's happening. There's more that the Lord is going to do. There are greater things for this body, for this region, for this state. There are greater things for the body of Christ to come. And what are we going to do when the influx of people, the wounded, the hurt, the broken, the people who are hungry for the real thing come in? And so this maturing and this pruning today, it's hitting me and really coming down to the core of it, we're gonna be talking about discipleship. And I know that that's not a, sometimes a yippee kind of message, uh, but discipleship is the way forward. It is the way forward. And we've gotta be ready. We've gotta be ready. We have said yes to putting our hands to the plow but have we thought through what happens when the harvest actually shows up? When the harvest actually sprouts and are we gonna have enough disciple makers to actually carry the weight and the call of, of this church? And so we're talking about in discipleship and I wanna encourage you today to keep saying yes. Can you look to your neighbor and say, keep saying yes. Keep saying yes to becoming and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. We are going to continue and keep saying yes to picking up our cross, to staying in a posture of surrender and obedience, being those who actually hear his words and put them into practice. To be those who actually counted up the cost to follow him. And maybe for some of you in here today, we can encourage you to abide, be reminded of his love for you, move you back into a place of posture of dwelling and staying close to Jesus, our teacher, our rabbi, our, our good shepherd, and to potentially begin again in this journey of discipleship, okay? So we're going to be kind of jumping around in the Gospel of Luke and, and some other passages here, but I want you to go ahead and get your Bibles. Who's got your Bible? Go ahead and turn to Luke 14. And we're going to look at the words of Jesus as he says, counting what's the cost of being a, a disciple. I'm just going to share some thoughts here. Sadly, many of us are taught a life of decision and not a life 
of discipleship. Salvation occurs in a beautiful moment, a gift from the Lord, but discipleship takes a lifetime. Salvation is something that God does for us, but discipleship is something that we do with God. Salvation costs you nothing, but discipleship is gonna cost you something and potentially everything, potentially everything. We've gotta keep saying yes. As you read the Gospels, Jesus continually makes it hard to stay and easy to leave. It's his words himself that the gate is small and the road's narrow. So tens of thousands of people were drawn to him, but only a few hundred at most became his disciples. I've heard it put this way by a man named Mark Scandretti. He says, practicing the way of Jesus will always be a minority activity. It always will be. And Jesus' invitation was not to convert us into a new religion called Christianity, but to apprentice underneath him into the life and the kingdom of God. Many in the gospels were genuinely drawn to Jesus. I mean, how could you not? But many were not willing to commit to a life of discipleship. And made excuses like in Luke 9, first let me go bury my father. Another way of saying, let me get my inheritance. Let me be independently wealthy where I don't have to worry about anything. I can follow you then and not have to, to trust. Another excuse is, Lord, I will follow you, but, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. I understand this one. <laughs> Many of us do, but this is another way of, another excuse, another way of saying, God, give me more time before I fully commit. Before I fully commit. And that's what many of us do. We delay, we see saw, I'm including myself here. We make excuses. Like going on a diet or getting in shape, we do what? We procrastinate. I'll do it later. Um, but how many of us know that later rarely shows up? <laughs> rarely, or later rarely comes. And um, what was Jesus' response to, to these excuses? He says, let the dead bury their own dead. And he says this, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. His invitation, man. Luke 14, we there? Verses 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, Wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my, what? Disciple. To our modern day ears, that sounds very unkind, uh, very not like Jesus. Um, but it, it's not unkind, it's, it's just blunt. It's just the honest truth. He's using hyperbole here and an ex, ag, uh, exaggeration of language in the word hate to make his point. To be his disciple, we are to love him far above anything else. And in the sense, the word means, the word hate means to love less. So he's posing this question to help us reprioritize the affections that are in our hearts, the things that take up space before him. So hear me when I say this, I'm not giving you permission <laughs> to hate your family. 
Trust me, I know, family's tough. And I can say that because they're here and I'm having fun with them. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah, I love you. Uh, I'm not giving anyone permission to, to do that. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's just stating that our loyalty to him and our love for him must be greater than any other affection or attachment in our lives and even our own families, even your children. They don't belong to us anyway. There he is. There he is. Jesus did not beg or manipulate or bully. And I've heard this said, and you can, I don't know who said it, so you can say I said it. It's just how, that's how sayings go anyway. Did anybody, uh, you miss a thousand shots you don't take Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. You know, it's like, that's how these quotes get started anyway. But this is the quote, coercion is not a fruit of the spirit. He didn't offer a sales pitch or a strong arm. He just invited. He just invited. And could you imagine saying no to Jesus' invitation? Could you imagine? Many of us, again, myself included, would like to think, never. No. No, Jesus. I could never do that. And we sound like Peter when Jesus says, Simon, Simon, the devil has asked to sift you like wheat. And his response is, Lord, to prison and to death, I'll follow you. If you keep reading, you'll see that Peter falls short. He falls short. Weakness and fear get the better of him. And so my question I'm posing today is what potentially could get the better of you? If you live long enough, you will inevitably fall short. You will fall short. You will royally miss it. I've had those moments in my life where I look back, and even though I'm a young man, I have them, where I go, I missed it. I royally missed it. But Jesus kindly always gives us another opportunity, like Peter, to jump back into apprenticeship, into discipleship, restoring us and giving us opportunities to keep saying yes to doing the hard work of the ministry, to making disciples of all nations, baptizing those in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and doing what? Teaching them to obey his commands and his teachings. We have to keep saying yes. Keep saying yes for Jesus Step one on the journey to becoming a disciple is to take up your cross, the ultimate symbol of death to self. There's a, name, uh, a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He is a German Lutheran pastor, and he was born in 1906. And uh, ironically, today is his, his, birth, his calendar birthday. And I thought that was kind of interesting that I found this, this quote, and I've bought a few books that are on their way. I'm going to dive into some of his teaching, but this German Lutheran pastor and theologian was a key founding member of this movement called the Confessing Church during the times of Nazi Germany. And he was in opposition and, and he was pastoring and stewarding the flock while a Nazi banner was going up. And instead of fleeing, he stayed put. He stayed put. And he says this, when Christ calls a man he bids him come and die. And Bonhoeffer was later martyred for his faith by the Third Reich. 
And he called this statement, when Christ calls us, he bids us to come and die, the cost of discipleship. Another really interesting fact about this gentleman is he's born into a very educational, affluent family. And at the age of 12, 13, and 14, he's writing music that would later be performed by the Philharmonic Orchestra. He was without talent. I mean, he was not without talent. He had opportunity in front of him. And as a young man, he chose to pick up his cross, die to his flesh, and do the work of the ministry in a dark, dark, dark place. For most of us in this day and age in the West, the cross isn't literal. It's a metaphor for the intention to put to death our self-will, which is the root of our human problem. To die to self, as the saying goes. But another word we like to use for this is surrender. We use it in our songs, we sing it in our, we sing it in our songs, we use it in our prayers. Um, we really say it uh, without really understanding and having the, under, the, the full connotation of what it actually means. Surrender is to obey in obedience to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Surrender is just to trust and obey. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Come on. To be happy in Jesus is to trust and obey. Surrender and obedience, the foundation of the life of a disciple. This alone is, is the ground on which a life of discipleship to Jesus is built. As Jesus himself said at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on what? The rock. The rock. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew up against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Everyone who does not hear these words of mine and put them into practice is the foolish one who built his house on sand. We wanna be a people who hear his words and put them into practice. And that requires us to be close to him daily, walking alongside him, abiding in him, becoming like him, starting to take risk and opportunities to do as he did. There is a movement taking place right now. And again, I think this is why there, I feel this, this just wind at, the back, uh, at my back. There's a movement taking place right now on the earth that is moving discipleship back to the forefront. It's bringing it back. It's bringing it back to the forefront. And there are movements that you see and you spot and we sing their songs and we admire their speakers and we do all these things and we think that there's nothing else that has gone into it other than a YouTube page that blew up. And really what's happened is that you don't see the 20 to 30 years of the yes that they have said and surrendered and obeyed to. And they've counted the cost. They've counted it. 
and now the Lord's blessing them because they're abiding in the true vine and the fruit of his spirit and the fruit of their yes in ministry is being able to be seen and appreciated. And again, we become learners who then become leaders, who then become disciple makers, and then we become fathers. That where we see, we cast fruit, we pour into people, and then before you know it, you have a vineyard that the Lord delights in because you see fruit popping up on other trees and other disciple makers that you had nothing to do with. And that is the true call of us. And another beautiful thing about these movements is that someone deep down inside of them finally decided that consumer Christianity isn't enough. It's not enough. They want to walk with Jesus daily. They want to walk daily. They've learned to surrender. They've learned to walk in obedience to his lordship. It takes more self-mastery to yield your will than to wield it. Jesus was the most extraordinary, most free, most powerful human to ever exist and live. And at the climax of his spiritual prowess, he prayed to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. Y'all okay? (laughs) There's a call. There's something happening to to be with him, become like him, and do as he does. And there's a people rising up in this hour who haven't bought into the religion of be true to yourself. <laughs> and, that's, that, and that's why I'm saying we've got to pray over the next generation. We have to, fathers and mothers in the room, hear me. Your job is not done. It's just getting started. We have to continually pray over the, th- the millennials, the Gen Z, the children, the, those yet to come and believe. Because there are things, the prince of the air is active. I mean, we all have seen it, we all know. And there's, again, there's ebbs and flows. Nothing's new under the sun, but the prince of the air is active right now and our children and their children's children are being affected. Affected by this be true to yourself when the call is to die and become like Jesus. And to become like Jesus. To lean into your cross, deny yourself. And again, you see these movements and you can tell that it's, that it's rooted in a place of surrender. You can see it in what they've built and how they've built it. And they are not those who started building and couldn't complete it. Luke 14, verses 28, Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? All my builders say, amen. <laughs> we had, a, it was funny, we had a builder in the back. I know who it is, but I said that and he said, amen. And I was like, you get it, you understand. Verse 29, for if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. (laughs) There is a people rising up. And they are those who Jesus said, they've heard my words and put them into practice. Discipleship has to come back 
to the forefront. In my experience, this has not been in every move of the Spirit. This has not been just saying from my experience and from my kind of 20,000 foot view and the friends and the people that I rub shoulders with, we've done a really good job of getting people to become Christians and have done a poor job of getting people to actually become disciples. So they join a Christian club and they think, is this it? Is this the yes that I signed up for? And then we're utterly shocked when people decide to stop saying yes to Jesus. And it's like, well, yeah, we're not discipling them. Do you know how many times the word Christian is used in the New Testament? Three times. Do you know how many times the word disciple is used in the New Testament? 269. Yeah. Jesus is obviously making a point. (laughs) We are to become disciples. Disciples. The key difference between a Christian and a disciple is that disciples keep saying yes. They keep saying yes, saying yes to being with him, being like him, doing what he does, saying what he's saying. We've got to keep saying yes. If we don't keep saying yes, Jesus says, what we build will not be completed. We will not be considered his, and we will lose our salt. This passage, he also talks about a general assessing, wrongly assessing the battlefield and having to be the one to wave his flag. But in 14 verses 34, he says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. (laughs) It's thrown out. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Yeah. I turned 30 in October, and um, what? (laughs) Who's talking? Well, who says home? <laughs> yeah, I got that baby face, but my dad, he looks great. He's aging, aging well, like a king, looking good. That's my future. I look <laughs> looking good. <laughs> sorry, I'll, sorry, dad, I'll stop picking on you. Um, Oh gosh, my turn 30, and over the course of my life, you know, I was saved when I was a child and gave my life to the Lord at a very early age. I remember being baptized in a pool at age seven. And dad will remember this, we, at Wayne Lefford's house, at a pool, being baptized and dunked, and then the church had a cookout and a, and a uh, swim party, and I remember it got evening and a bat was flying around, and, and brother Wayne got a shotgun and shot this bat, <laughs> and it fell in the waters that we were all baptized, and as a kid, I was kind of like, that's kind of mean something, right? Like, I, uh, <laughs> like oh, no. <laughs> and um, so I've been baptized like 30 times. We, and my parents were, my, <laughs> it's so true. And pastor's kids here, guys. Like, we just, just is with the territory. But I remember we had a, a thriving youth group underneath my parents' leadership, and we take 300 kids out to this beach, and we go out into about waist-deep water, and we make this massive circle, and all these kids would just be compelled and drawn after a message to be baptized in the ocean. 
And I remember my dad, and my dad is like, he'll hit you. Like, one of his love languages is like roughhousing. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just how, just kind of how it is, which for Walter, that's, that's, a good, that's a good grandfather moment there. But he would, he would like dunk kids, you know, and like, he'd like, <laughs> he'd like wait for the wave to like be at the peak and then just like, ah! And these kids would come up like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> And so I was baptized in the ocean like every year that we looked forward to it. And we saw some really incredible kids just give their lives to the Lord and they're on the right paths and tracks and, and all these things. But as a child, as a teenager, as a young man, there's been this continuous cycle of encounter that's led me into surrender and obedience that then's led me into a life of discipleship. So there's a continual yes that continues in our life that happens, that happens. And it's just so beautiful how the Lord is so gentle with his invitation. And so, uh, hey, you know, if you've asked, you know, I know you're thinking about your 30s. I know you're thinking about your kids. I know you're thinking about what you want to accomplish. But when you ask me, I'll tell you what I think I want. Some of us potentially need to slow down in our planning. I'm a very futuristic person. I've always, ha- always have been. I've been strategic. I've been futuristic. I think ahead. And it's hard for me to slow down enough to allow the Lord to go, hey, maybe ask me. And in that, it's been very gentle to go, I'm sorry, Lord. Here's my will. Here's my will. And he's honored that. He's actually rejoiced in that. And there's been things in my life that have come just because I just said, I didn't cling to it. I love that quote that Pastor Matt shared that like worship, true worship, and true surrender is, is holding things loosely in our hands. I forgot who, he's, who said that, but it rocked me. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so good because I have just so tightly, no, Lord, no, no, no. And he's like, give it to me. Give it to me, and it's going to be better than your wildest dreams and imagination. And so there is is a call. There's a life that is beyond (laughs) your wildest hopes and dreams and fulfillments. And uh, you ever, to all the dads in the room, when you became a dad, the fulfillment of seeing your child and holding your child just sporadically shows up. You never knew that you could be this fulfilled with purpose. It's the same thing with surrendering your will to the Lord and having him lead you. It leads you into fulfillment beyond your wildest dreams. And again, I'm at the age, so when I was 17, can I talk to y'all just real for a moment? I know we're kind of talking, we are talking real because this is real life. (laughs) Um, but just, just to share a part of my life, my history, and, and um, at, from 17 to ages, 17 to about 22, I had some men in my life, uh, maybe actually a little longer, 15 to about 22, that were discipling me that I looked up to, and they were powerful men of God. They were writing songs for the global church. They were doing crazy, crazy things, awesome things, or prophesying, healing people, leading thousands into the throne room of Jesus. 
and these previous father figures around the age of 30, 31, 32, they began to meet adversity and pain. And that adversity got the better of them. The pressures of unexpected changes and challenges and fear got the better of them. And now the last time that I checked, I don't believe all of them and maybe except for one don't even profess to be a believer in Jesus anymore, a follower of Jesus. And sadly, their life based on the decisions that they've made are in shambles. Their families are torn apart. They're not moving and operating in the calling that God had placed on their lives. They no longer possess any salt in what they built was just a monument to their folly, to their fickleness. A monument to their folly. Love and surrender have been replaced by disappointment, pain, resentment, and entitlement. And instead of being devoted to Jesus, they became disillusioned with Jesus. And their yes just fell to the wayside. There's a man by the name of Randall Worley who is a very prolific, beautiful, articulate speaker. He's been speaking to leaders and churches for, gosh, 50 years. I call him Grizzly Man. He's got the most epic beard and this beautiful, deep Gandalf tone in his raspy voice. And it just kind of, it pierces you. But he said this, and he, he said this to me as I asked him questions about experiencing their deconstruction and, they're, and they're, um, they're falling away. He says, people give up on themselves and in turn give up on God. There is a cost to discipleship, but there is also a cost to non-discipleship. And surely, Jesus intended for us to weigh both options in his invitation and in his ask. And what I've personally witnessed with these past father figures is that following Jesus will cost you, but not following Jesus will cost you so much more. So much more. So much more. And so many times, and again, this is, they didn't count the cost of the non-discipleship. And so when they finally got confronted in the pride and the ego and the, all of the things that they thought, you said this is gonna happen, and Jesus said, no, I did it. I said, come and die. <laughs> come and die to yourself and submit to my leadership and my lordship. They finally said, that's not what I signed up for. That's not what I signed up for. It will cost you life with God, saying no, not counting up this cost of discipleship. It will cost you life with God, the very purpose for which you were created. It will cost you the access to the, the inner life of the Trinity, the peace which transcends all understanding, the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, filled with glory. It will cost you freedom from the bondage of sin, healing from the wounding of sin, forgiveness from the guilt and shame of sin, and adoption into the family of God and out of the isolation of sin. 
It will cost you. Life is hard, but living in a godless, shepherdless, meaningless universe, that's hard. That's hard. And some of you I know have witnessed what that feels like. And you have come to taste and see and know and know that he is good. This paradox, which is the very heart of the gospel itself, is best summarized by Jesus' statement in Matthew 16. He says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. No one sets out to be a failure or experience failure. No one plans to encounter disaster. No one intends to come into old age crippled by missed opportunities and hunched over the staggering weight of regret. It just happens. It's just life. But the true tragedy is to live and not die to self. To remain a seed and to never reemerge or sprout into the full flowering of your destiny as a son and daughter of Jesus Christ. I found this poem called The Holy Longing, and in it, it says this, so long as you have an experience to die and so to grow, you are only a troubled guest on this dark earth. If you have not experienced Jesus planting you, going down, and dying and allowing the thing in you to sprout out of his goodness and his plans and purposes for your life. You guys do not have to be a dark guest, a troubled guest on this earth. You can be invited into true life of discipleship and apprenticeship under Jesus. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. Many of you I know, are we okay? Yes. Okay. Many of you I know can probably relate to this story that I've shared about these past father figures. You know, we've probably all known someone who has rejected the gospel, has fallen, decided to not get up, decided to do their own thing. Um, but maybe that's somebody in here today where you have found yourself attending out of tradition or out of this is what I do and you're receiving some of the benefits of a church community, which we're happy that that's happening, but you have not fully experienced the abiding in Jesus Christ and experienced the sprouting and, and all the things of the fruit of the Spirit taking place in your life from following him. The invitation, <laughs> this is the fun part, the invitation is still there. It's still there. Will you begin again and keep saying yes to the Lord? It's not too late. It's not too late. Even in your old age, your middle life, your young 30s, it's not too late. You can begin again and begin to abide and keep saying yes. To fully say yes to him, which is what he requires, it means I've encountered his yes for me. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he 
first loved us. So my ability to fully love him and keep saying yes comes from my encounter with him loving me. Loving me. It's the revelation of his love for me that awakens my love for him and is the driving force for abiding and making my home in him. Making my home in him. And whenever I find myself struggling with a full yes, and yes, pastors and people on staff struggle with this stuff just as much as you guys do. <laughs> uh, I was going to make a joke. I don't want to make a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I find myself struggling <laughs> with this full yes, I know I need to go and encounter his full yes for me and then move back into a place of abiding and dwelling and walking with him. Walking with him. You know, Julie and I, Julie is so perfect. <laughs> and so beautiful, and I love her so much. But whenever our marriage starts to get tough and hard, and when we start getting frustrated or something comes in between us and frustrations boil over, and we start to, or I start to hold on to things and instead move my place and my heart out of a position of love towards her, I know I need to immediately revisit my why behind I said yes to Julie. Quickly, quickly, before my heart becomes so hard that it's going to have to take a hammering over time to make it soft again. When we were dating, we didn't live, man, two hours, any, we were two hours away, three hours away at most. I, I commuted for work and college and all these things, and <laughs> for our first date, I left at 4.30 to pick her up at 7 p.m. That's Atlanta traffic, guys. She lived, she lived a, a crazy distance away. But when we were dating, you know, how many of you fell through that puppy love stage where everything's so blissful and wonderful and you, you write each other love notes and you hang on every word and you're, you're out past however long curfew is because you're just like, the moon and the stars look so beautiful. <laughs> In your eyes, and we're dancing in this cul-de-sac, and it's the most romantic thing <laughs> ever. And every song just hits you like a ton of bricks. You're like, oh, 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 I'm gonna marry that girl. <laughs> hey, we were three weeks dating. This is so funny. We were three weeks dating, and I, she worked at an office, and I was saying goodbye to her once, and I said, All right, I'll see you later. I love you. And I went, Oh, no! <laughs> And she could see the stricken fear. My face went white. She's like, it's okay. I know you just meant it. And I literally was driving home like, should I drive my car into the tree? Should I just be done? I know where I'm going. I just, should I? <laughs> oh, puppy love, guys. It's so beautiful and awesome. And we have, we have this box. We have this box of all of these notes and these letters and all these things that we would share with one another about our hearts and towards one another. And I know if I ever move into a place where my heart is getting distant, I need to go back to that box. I need to revisit my, my why and my yes to her and staying in that place of closeness toward her. The key here for you to remain in a place 
like that with the Lord is to abide. And it's, I think it's the true superpower of us Christians. Can we be in two places at once? Can we be changing a diaper and be in the presence of God? Can we be stuck in traffic? Can, can we be in the presence of God? Can we be in a work meeting being, and be in the presence of God? <laughs> I forgot what work meetings are like. Can you be in two places at once? Can you be cooking dinner for your kids? Can you be pouring them NyQuil and be in the presence of the Lord? Oh, sorry, that's not probably good. We're having a good time, yeah. <laughs> having a good time. We just came out of that whole flu thing, yeah? Some of you guys are experiencing that in here. Uh, Arkansas flu is no joke. And uh, my kids are just Petri dishes and they bring it all home and all these things. But abiding in the Lord is, is not a technique in which we control our relationship with God, but it is a skill. It's a skill that requires practice. Abiding is the practicing of God's presence. And here at Lakeview, we are a people of his presence. Can you say of yourself that I practice the presence of God? Can I be in two places at once? John 15, nine says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Abiding in him will bear you fruit, and in abiding in his love, he will no longer call you servants, but friends. <laughs> servants know nothing about the master's business, but friends, they know everything, and they're called into it. They're called into the work. They're called into it. The only job we have is to abide and dwell in that love. If you can abide in that, love, uh, in that love, you will give him absolutely everything. Come back to the life of Peter for a moment, and we're getting ready to kind of close up shop here. Uh, Justin, but Peter's the hero of the faith, yeah? And after denial, after failing, he, he was given the opportunity to, to say yes. You know, Jesus goes to pray at the Mount of Olives and praying that prayer, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Sweating blood. The angel's coming to his side for aid and tending to him. And he comes back to the, the disciples and it says that they were all asleep with, from sorrow, from heaviness. And he's urging them, wake up, pray, get up, pray, fast, so that you will not be tempted. And I don't think that they woke up <laughs> because... Peter, in his weakness and frailty, denies Christ. And I think that's even why in later, I think it's 1 Peter 5, he says, be of sound mind and be on guard because your enemy, a roaring lion, woo, comes to devour you. So be awake. Be of sound mind so that you would may not be tempted. But Peter denies Jesus three times. Like Jesus said he would. Jesus, 
is crucified and resurrected and appears to the disciples before his ascension in the first conversation that Peter has with Jesus after his denial. John 21 is his reinstating of Peter into apprenticeship, into closeness with him. He says in verse 15, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He says, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. (laughs) The third time he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter's like, "Uh, I'm kind of starting to get a little hurt. Um, You know I love you, Lord. Above all things, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus' response again is, feed my sheep. After failure, after hardship, after royally missing it, Jesus extends kindly the invitation to follow him in his response. And he also redeems the three times he says no, right? Peter denies three times and Jesus says, there's it is, there's it is, there's it is. Restored, redeemed. Don't think another thing about it. And he reinstates him into a posture of discipleship. And what's his response to him? Feed my sheep, disciple. Go into all the nations. Take care of my flock. Jesus gave Peter an opportunity to say yes. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.